Welcome to In Conversations, an investec focus radio podcast series that offers insights into a wide range of topics that will empower our clients to create, manage, grow and preserve their wealth. The next four episodes of In Conversations is for medical professionals. In episode 1 of this four-part bi-weekly series, we get to chat to Stephen Macaronis, an international specialist with over 3 decades of experience in the healthcare industry, on how to build a future-ready medical practice. Here's Investec Digital Content Specialist Karabo Sgoto, the series host. Stephen started by painting us a clear picture of the current situation faced by doctors and medical professionals today. I want to discuss the regrets of the retiring doctor. You see, I've been teaching and advising doctors and other healthcare professionals for over 37 years. I've done it all my working life. I've worked with interns fresh out of university, advanced trainees and recent fellows transitioning from public to private practice, with established practitioners seeking operational efficiency and practice growth, all the way through to advanced or mature practitioners who are planning for practice succession and retirement and they all share most of them a very similar trajectory they're all heading towards a very sad place let me explain i've surveyed thousands of doctors as part of a retirement planning exercise the overwhelming majority of them said when asked the question what was your greatest regret I've asked this question of thousands of doctors just like you at courses and seminars and I get the same answer not enough time with family it rolls off the tongue as if it's an unavoidable cost of being a doctor this is a tragedy it's a tragedy anybody that goes through life and gets to retirement and looks back and says I didn't spend enough time with family has led an unsuccessful life. Worse still, if you know this is going to be your future, why would you get into this profession in the first place? Spoiler alert, it doesn't have to be this way. So, why am I talking about the lifestyle challenges of doctors in a talk about the future-ready private practice? Because the future-ready practice must address the unmet and underserved needs of the patient and address the unmet and underserved needs of you and your families let's get the technology bit out of the way because this is not a tech talk but it is important the world of healthcare is transforming at an unprecedented rate hastened by the confluence of advancing technologies like artificial intelligence machine learning data driven prediction and most importantly the revolution in patient empowerment brought about by the democratization of information patients have information at their fingertips that they didn't have 5 10 20 years ago they're bringing to the table a level of understanding that i know you guys hate because it complicates your engagement with them but that's not going away it's never going to go away it's going to get more and more prevalent so technology plus patient empowerment is going to change the way in which you engage with your patients it's going to change the way in which medicine is delivered the old paradigm of diagnose and treat is being replaced by predict prevent and manage 
as healthcare consumers, we're becoming more interested in doing whatever's necessary to stay well and out of hospital instead of only engaging with healthcare professionals when something's broken and needs fixing. What does that mean for you and your business models? Now, again, as I said before, this tech talk is for another time. We're not here to talk about technology. But I do want to present this to you. Rather than talk about what patients will want and demand in the future when concepts like smart care, care anywhere, empowered care, and intelligent health enterprises become commonplace, I'll just let this information sink in for a moment. This is happening. This is here now. Many of you may think of this as a threat, but you shouldn't necessarily. This is empowering, not just for patients, but for you as practitioners. So rather than talk about what patients will demand when this is commonplace, I want to talk about what they're already demanding but not getting. They're already demanding and not getting communication, information, education, a holistic approach, integrating allied health and coordinating that process. Patients don't care whether there's a DR in front of your name or not. They just want a medical solution to their problems. Communication between healthcare providers, a multidisciplinary approach. They want an integrated treatment plan and monitoring process, a seat at the decision-making table. Gone are the days when patients consider you to be God, whatever you say I'll do. They want to be part of the equation. They want to make informed decisions. They want, God forbid, customer service. Really foreign concept in medicine, isn't it? And they want a sense of engagement and belonging. Now, let me ask a question. Who here has been to Japan? So you've experienced what is quite possibly the best customer service in the world. From a neighborhood noodle shop to a five-star hotel, simply walk through the door and you're instantly greeted with a smile, a bow, and a welcome. Staff are attentive. Uniforms are neat and clean. Shirts are tucked in. And the deep respect everybody has for themselves, for their employer, for their job, and most importantly for the customer, is prevalent. Japan offers a lesson that no matter how fast technology changes, there are certain things that don't. Feeling appreciated, having a sensory experience, and being on the receiving end of kindness, enthusiasm, communication, and community. These are things that everybody wants from a shopping experience. And when they don't get them, what do they do? They default to the lowest price and the least hassle. This explains the role of the corporates in healthcare that are flourishing in the absence of personalized customer service. If you don't already understand that the patient is a customer, then hopefully after this presentation you will. The patient is a customer. They expect clinical excellence. They expect a medical solution to their problems. But they also expect to be treated with dignity, to be clearly communicated with, to be educated, to be reassured, and above all, to feel that you and your team are engaged with them and focused on their needs, which, at the risk of sounding redundant, are far more than the clinical. So the same goes for doctors' quality of life. 
Emerging generations of doctors and medical families have very little appetite for ridiculous workloads, for inhuman stress levels, for pressure and responsibility with little relief. They simply won't put up with it anymore. They don't want to sacrifice their lives for medicine, and nor should they. The reason most doctors retire with this deep regret that they didn't spend enough time with families, not because of something inherent in the practice of medicine, but it's because of poor business management and poor financial management. As a result, they may be effective medical practitioners, delivering the art and medicine of science with as much certainty and professionalism as possible, but does that make them successful? I believe and what I'm trying to get you to believe is that unless we adopt business models that address the lifestyle crisis in medicine, as well as the patient experience, then the days of the doctor-owned private practice, I believe, are numbered. Instead, the corporates will step in and they'll provide worry-free employment, but very little control and autonomy for the doctor around how she or he wants to practice medicine. So what's the solution? The solution is that we set up and run practices as a business, a business that's infused with the fundamental principles of business and financial management. Let me ask you a question. If the start of the game, the beginning of the game, is setting up your practice, what's at the end? What's the end game? To sell it. Why the hell would you set up any business, let alone one as stressful as a medical practice, if you're not going to get a sale value at the end of it? Now, I'm not surprised at all if the great majority of you don't believe that it's possible to sell a medical practice. I would suggest that the great majority of you think I'm talking crazy. Sell a medical practice? I'm the medical practice. If I'm no longer there, what is there to sell? So what I'm suggesting to you is that the saleability of a medical practice is all to do with how it's set up and how it's run. Is it run as a business or is it run as, a, as an environment to help its principles work as hard as, as, hard as humanly possible and, as, and a little bit more? A business is saleable, whether it be a medical practice or whether it be a, a grocery store or whether it be a hotel, it's saleable if it's run as a business. Let's talk about the characteristics of the future-ready practice, a practice that is patient-centric, that's owner-serving, that offers a path to equity and ultimately is saleable. Would it surprise you to know that the characteristics of the practice that best delivers on patients' needs are the same characteristics of the practice that offers flexibility, freedom, quality of life to its owners, as well as a path to equity for its employed doctors, and in so doing, establishing saleable practice value. So, why is it important to have a practice that's saleable? Not necessarily because of the sale value, but once you've achieved saleability in any business, then that is a business that works. That's a business that's delivering on its promise. It's promised to its community that it's delivered that it's delivering services to in your case patients but also it's delivering on its promise to its employees whether they be professional or administrative and its owners so when we talk about saleability it's not because that you can get value upon sale and that money can go towards your retirement planning endeavors 
but more importantly, a saleable practice is a practice that works. So what are those characteristics? The future-ready practice is a multi-partner group practice. I'm sorry to say anybody that's a solo practitioner, your model is flawed. It doesn't work anymore. It can't work anymore. It can work, of course, if you don't want to be truly successful. It's existed for generations and will continue to up to a point. And when I say up to a point, future generations, as I said before, of doctors simply and medical families won't put up with the kind of workloads and stress and lack of freedom that the solo practice, unfortunately, you know, embodies. So the multi-practice, multi-partner group practice is an extremely important, if not the most important, characteristic of the future-ready practice. This is an example of three young doctors, obstetricians, who came to one of our courses back in 2009. They came to a transition to practice course. On the second day of the course, we taught them a whole lot of information, and as well as the other 60 or 70 doctors in the room, we told them a whole lot of things about how to run a business, about business and financial management. At the end of the second day, they came to me and said, hey, Stephen, we sort of knew each other, we trained together, but we weren't necessarily partners in any way, shape or form. We were here to learn about private practice, and we've got this idea. We think that we can set up the very first all-female obstetrics practice in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. And what we'd like to do is take the last day of this three-day course to do our planning, to put a business plan around this idea. And is it okay if we borrow some of your presenters in a room somewhere and build a plan? And we said, absolutely. And they did. And they have the very first all-female obstetrics practice in Australia. And if you're a patient of this practice, you come through the door and you meet one of these three principles, and what the very first thing they will say is, thank you, but I may not be the person that delivers. We're a group practice here. We value the quality of our life. And so as a patient of this practice, I'll take you through the process of up to delivery, but it may be, but I may be at a my son's music recital or my daughter's sporting event or I may be on holidays or it may be somebody else's turn to be working that weekend or that three o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. And the way that we're going to manage this for you is introduce you to the other principals, the other doctors in the practice. Every second appointment that you have with us, you're going to meet somebody else. We're going to establish a relationship. We're going to establish trust. We're going to establish community. And if this doesn't work for you, then this is not the right practice for you. They've never lost a patient. They work, they earn very good money, and they have a life. So that pretty much sums up, if for no other reason, why you should have a group practice. But there are many other reasons. Here's some examples. Economies of scale, improved profitability, at least a 30 to 40% increase in take-home pay. Because of that scale, it supports an allied health service when you've got more than the one practitioner. And patients want that. They need that. It's important. If we really want to deliver medicine, we're going to forget about these demarcation issues and understand that there is a whole universe of healthcare services that are complementary to what we do, that patients need and are important in terms of getting them to the healthcare outcomes that they're trying to achieve and that we're committed to delivering. 
no question in my mind that that a group practice delivers improved patient care and safety, a better work-life balance, and very importantly, supports this notion that we have something, an asset, a business that is saleable, that can continue beyond our desire and ability to work. The practice of the future is a multidisciplinary practice. We're already seeing this. We're already seeing orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, rheumatologists, pain medicine physicians, exercise physiologists, physiotherapists, rehabilitation physicians, and, di and dietitians coming together under the one roof. This is just one example of a group of medical specialties that are complementary to the optimal health outcome of a patient. Just think about your particular specialties and the areas and the disciplines in which you are practicing medicine. What are the other medical specialties that are complementary to that, that will help in achieving the outcomes that patients are trying to achieve? All under the one roof, delivering your diagnostics as well as your treatment plans in a coordinated fashion. For how much longer do you think patients will put up with this fragmented system that just doesn't work for them? This is the future. Employed and contracted doctors, not everybody wants to be a private practitioner, but they want to work in private practice because their jobs aren't simply, simply are not there in the public system. So you employ them. You provide scale. Revenue generating allied health and paraprofessionals. This is an example of allied health services that are, may be appropriate for an oncology practice. Now they need to be evidence-based, they need to be complementary. But again, as I said before, patients don't care whether there's a DR in front of your name or not. They just want an outcome. And the beauty of this is, that this is income. This is providing services that patients need, generating income from other than your physical exertion. And that's what we're trying to achieve, a business a business is an entity that thrives despite you, not just because of you. It has to be evidence-based. It has to be appropriate for the patients. It has to be complementary to what you do. It has to be ethical and has to be compliant with your reputation. The term practice manager is old hat. That's gone. It's now business manager. We don't want a glorified administrator. We want someone who is trained in business management has the right qualifications, whose job it is to translate your vision into systems, policies and procedures that delivers that vision at the operating level of the practice, at every operating level of the practice. I heard a great term recently, and I love this term, practice director. The three important roles that need to be fulfilled within any business. And that is starting at the bottom, technician. And you guys are the technicians. Absolutely. Business manager, the person that runs the business of the business, an entrepreneur. But the entrepreneur, it sounds like a scary term. And I'm not suggesting that you need to be an Elon Musk or, God forbid, a Donald Trump. But you do need to have a vision and that's all an entrepreneur is, someone that asks the question, is there a better way? 
Someone who then states, yes, there must be a better way. There is a better way. Who wipes the slate clean and says, my profession should be doing this and engaging in this way in order to better meet the unmet and underserved needs of the patient. The entrepreneur is the person who states clearly that there should not be a disparity between delivering excellent patient care and having a good quality life and earning decent money for my commitment and my investment and my sacrifice. And also, can I say, to run a business that's so effective and so efficient and so profitable that we can afford to dedicate significant time, resources and money to serving the community that can't afford us because we're earning enough money over here dealing with those that can. In, in my mind, that's the best way to, and most efficient way, and effective way to deal with the inequity of the delivery of healthcare services in a community that, such as yours, and almost everywhere in the world, really, uh, is facing. The practice of the future will figure out how to establish effective and efficient services and profitability in this location based on systems, policies and procedures. And once they've achieved that, they can cookie-cutter that in one, two, three, four and more. That's scale. And that's not necessarily scale based on greed and wanting to earn money, but based on this notion that you want as much as possible to deliver your services to the greatest pop possible population that there is. And you can do that if you run your practice like a business. Systems, policies and procedures. Has anybody heard of Michael Gerber? Michael Gerber, I believe, is the world's preeminent um, commentator on small to medium business and what it takes to succeed. He wrote a book called The E-Myth. The E in E-Myth stands for entrepreneur. And he suggests that unless you're an entrepreneur, unless at the helm of any business there is an entrepreneur, it's going to fail. You'll work and you'll earn money and you'll continue to be doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. But are you doing it in a way that's providing quality of life for you as well as delivering on your promise to the community that you've set out to serve? And he talks about systems, policies and procedures. He says that every business should take the model of McDonald's as their Bible. Now, what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean that the quality of medicine that you deliver should be the same as the quality of food that comes out of a McDonald's. But what he is saying is that every McDonald's and every corner, every street, and every capital city in the world is a multi-million dollar business run by teenagers. You could put trained monkeys in there and get the same quality food. Why? Because nobody has to think. Because every single aspect of the delivery of the service and the product that comes out of, the McDo of McDonald's is based on systems, policies, and procedures. And he suggests, and I agree with him, that every business, for it to be truly successful, should be based on and operated on systems, policies, and procedures. Of course, a medical practice is different to a fast food chain. We get that you have unexpected presentations and you can't plan for everything. But as much as possible, if you can set a platform of this is the way we do things here, when presented with this, 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 or this, this is how we deal with it.
The more we systematize, the more we have policies, the more we have procedures, the better trained our staff are in knowing how to deal with everything that comes through the front door, the more efficient and the more effective we are in dealing with our patients and the more effective and efficient we are in doing business. So the practice of the future, business planning. Once you have a vision, once you say, this is what I want my practice to look like when it's done, when it's ready, when we're finally firing on all cylinders, this is the goal. The business plan is the roadmap from how we get from here to there. And of course things change. Your goals change, the environment changes, the rules and regulations in which we play change. But unless we have a roadmap, we don't know where we're heading and how to get there. And that's what a business plan is. You can put a business plan on the back of a, a drinks coaster. It doesn't have to be complicated. But it does need to be a vision with strategic steps towards achieving it. So the practice of the future, engaged and motivated staff. This is a whole day session on its own. How do we convert our employees, the people that work for us, into the most valuable assets that we have? First, it's about, I believe, having a purpose and communicating that purpose. The purpose needs to be something other than profit. The purpose needs to be, what are we here for? Why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? And if you then communicate that to every employee within your practice, this is what we're here for. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is the good we're trying to do in the community. This is the purpose of this business of this practice then you open it up for them to design their own role within it so it's a complete turning on its head of what the traditional method of managing people is micromanagement we'll tell you what your job is and we'll manage that every single part of the process instead this is our purpose how can you help us achieve that really important difference and this this revolutionizes business and revolutionizes, revolution, revolutionizes industries if, if taken in the right way. So the practice of the future, really important that you understand that your referrers are just as much your customers as the patient. Whether, whether you're a specialist and your referrers are GPs or, or allied health providers or or if you're a GP and your referrers are the greater community and your own patients, understanding that relationship between the crucial relationship between the referrer and the practice is really important. And addressing their needs. What is it that they want? What kind of relationship are they after? It comes down to communication and education and respect. So the practice of the future understands this and fosters this, and fosters those relationships, and understands how crucial they are. Patient engagement and loyalty programs, really important. Your patients are, patients are customers, but you want them to be more than that. You want them to be raving advocates of who you are and what you do. Now, when I talk about loyalty programs, I'm not talking about, you know, if you're a plastic surgeon and you say, look, Pay for one boob and we'll do the other one free. I, I, I'm not talking about that. So, but I am saying that there are 
there are ways of delivering an experience that is so profound, that is so unique, that is so different to what they've ever experienced before by addressing the notion that patients want to be treated with respect, communicated with, and educated. That's what they want. And we're not delivering that in healthcare. And when we do deliver that, guess what? They will be your greatest supporters. And that's how you create loyalty, and that's how you create the very best referral network and an ongoing patient uh, flow. State-of-the-art rooms, it should go without saying that our rooms are a manifestation, a physical manifestation of who we are and what we believe in and the kind of medicine that we want to practice. There's a notion called in marketing called proxy perceptions, which means that a customer, in this case a patient, doesn't have the training or the qualifications to be able to judge the medicine that's being delivered. They will judge the medicine based on the external and physical manifestations of that, such as what your rooms look like. Now, you don't want rooms like my GP, where there is threadbare carpet, the chair, mismatched chairs, the paintings are crooked, there's 150 post-it notes behind reception. He's got 1982 National Geographics as reading material that are diseased. Like, it's just disgusting. But I go there because he's been a friend since primary school and, and he's a great doctor, but I certainly wouldn't recommend anybody to go there because I wouldn't want that reputation to come back on me. So you want rooms that reflect who you are and what you believe in. And it's extremely important. If you're going to invest money in anything, it should be in the physical manifestation of your profession and what you stand for. And of course, it, you, know, you need to consider location and patience and the socioeconomic environment in which you operate, and that all makes a difference and should be considered. But it doesn't mean that in any circumstances that you should have plastic chairs in reception. You need to respect your patients, and they will respect you. Marketing. Oh, I love this subject. Marketing is everything, and everything is marketing. And there's something, I don't understand quite what it is. There's a disconnect between the medical profession and the concept of marketing. You have been trained to believe that this is evil. Marketing is not trying to sell something. Marketing is not, I have this product, how can I convince you to buy it? If you think that's what it is, you're wrong. Marketing is the reverse of that. Marketing is asking a question. What are your unmet and underserved needs? Let's re-engineer our product and service offering to deliver on those. That's what marketing is. And of course, there are initiatives that help with that, such as websites and branding and logos and blogs and information and education. These are all crucial to helping you communicate to the market who you are and what you stand for. Gerber says of marketing that it communicates your promise, what differentiates you and your practice from everybody else. But it also focuses on the way you deliver on that promise. My definition of marketing is that it is the megaphone that helps you shout to the world who you are and what you stand for. 
If you really believe you have something to offer, if you really believe you can make a difference, if you really believe in the promise that you've set out to deliver to the community that you've set to serve, then why would you hide that? Why would you be ashamed of communicating that? You should be doing everything in your power to tell that community, here I am and this is what I can do for you. You owe it to them. So marketing is everything and everything is marketing. Risk management. Unfortunately, statistics suggest that 30% of the people in this room will not make it to the top of that mountain with the peak being success, but rather will be blown off course or will put a foot wrong, will fall and will need some kind of safety net to catch them. Otherwise, they'll be they'll be dashed on the rocks below. So we need to identify the risks. We need to quantify the risks. And we need to get really good advice to put in place risk mitigation measures and, and procedures and policies and so on. And I'm, not talk, and I'm talking everything from, well, the worst risk, of course, of all, is that you are unable to go to work and earn your income to deliver on that dream that you've set for you and your family. And that could be through some accident or an illness or, or a death. But there's all sorts of other risks. Malpractice issues, um, divorce, um, financial risks, uh, and so on. Political risks, and so on. Um, we need to identify them, we need to quantify them, we, we need to mitigate against them. If I'm lucky enough for you to come to one of our courses, um, then you'll hear some personal stories around things that can go wrong and how all of your best endeavours can be you know, wiped away uh, if you haven't had some kind of you know, thought process around the things that can go wrong. The practice of the future will have a retail component. I'm talking about selling stuff. Is that unethical? I don't think so. If it is evidence-based and it supports the outcome that the patient's trying to achieve. Now, supplements, creams, lotions, books, equipment, devices, and all sorts of things. Here's an example. There's an oncologist here in Johannesburg, Colin Dix. He's written a book called Death, Dying, and Donuts. And I just discovered this the other day. And it's a book aimed at helping those that are dying have the conversations with their loved ones around this process. And it's also aimed at helping the families of those that are dying better communicate and engage with you know, their family member who is not going to be here for much longer. That's an example of something that is needed. It's absolutely part of what patients are asking you for. They may not be overtly asking it, but they're demanding it. They need it. It's part of the process that they're trying to work through and live through and come out the other side of. I believe education is the greatest side hustle that you can be involved in. How do we better communicate, inform, educate? And that's a great example. The practice of the future will have its finger on the pulse with respect to revenue and expense budgeting and management. The practice of the future will be run as a business and know what's coming in, what's going out, be able to measure that, report on that on a weekly basis. So that if something is wrong, if something's not quite fitting towards what it's supposed to be, you can change it. You can address it. 
you can modify it. And an extension of this is this new concept called business intelligence in medicine. Data analysis, data gathering, being able to, to measure things like dollars per patient, patients per hour, patients per doctor, referrals per referrer. There's all sorts of information that if gathered, collected, reviewed, can help us determine our way forward. What are our strategies for growth? What are our strategies for survival? Really important part of medicine, this is determining what you do and how you do it. This whole notion of business intelligence and data management. Of course, the practice of the future needs to be profitable. And I'm not talking about just delivering an okay salary for its principles. I'm talking about profitable to the point where you can employ the right people to expand, to grow, to provide scale. And more importantly, I believe, to provide quality of life, to allow you the ability to not just be a robot working day in, day out, but live your passions. The best definition of a business that I ever heard came from one of my mentors many years ago. And he said to me, Steve, if you're still working for me, in three years' time, I will have failed, and I would suggest you have not lived up to your potential. I want you to leave here when you're ready and set up your own business, because you can work and earn an income, or you can work, earn an income, and build an asset, and you're only going to do that in your own business. And for it to be truly a business, he went on to say, you will need to be able to say that at a whim, you know what, I'm taking two months off. My daughter finishes high school at the end of this year. She's really interested in dance. I want to enroll her in a dance school in Paris. And we're going to go and live a Parisian life for two months. And then come back to the business and it hasn't skipped a beat. It's continued to operate and thrive despite you. That's a business. If you can't do that, you don't have a business. If you can't do that, you're a slave to your work environment. Profit is key to achieving that. How do we achieve profit? Real profit by having income coming in from non-physical exertion, from having a business that thrives despite us, not just because of us, by incorporating within our practice lives these characteristics. So, to summarize, the future-ready practice is more efficient and effective, provides holistic service, generates revenue from partners and employed clinicians, generates revenue from non physical exertion, attracts the best staff and clinicians, offers a path to equity for its associates, for its employed doctors, is obsessed by customer service and the patient experience, and because of that attracts more patients, constantly measures performance and adjusts, generates greater profit, operates and thrives despite its owners, casts an eye to the future and disruption and innovation we all know that, that this is a world that you live in that is being transformed. I wouldn't worry about it. I would learn about it and I would adopt it within my practice. If you believe that you are purely a diagnostician, I would suggest you find another job because AI and machine learning and so on can do that job much better than you can. But that isn't the only thing you can do. There's so much more that patients require of you. Information, education treatment, compliance, and so on. The practice of the future generates saleable value. The practice of the future offers more time 
and quality of life to its principles. So how do we get there from where we are now? Three steps. One, improve your knowledge. Two, plan your vision. And three, build your team. Improve your knowledge. Get educated on alternate business models. Get educated on business. How do we transform a practice into a business? Get educated for those of you who are at the transition stage on practice setup. Get educated on practice operations, systems, policies and procedures. How do we McDonaldize a medical practice? Get educated on practice growth strategies. Very important to understand what's coming. Professional and practice resilience, dealing with disruption. Medicine is being disrupted. Just think about what's happened to the taxi industry by Uber. That's what's happening to you. And you can ride that wave or you can be dumped by it, to use an Australian analogy. Very importantly, extremely important, that you understand that there is a direct relationship between professional satisfaction and wealth creation. Doctors hate talking about money. Doctors hate this notion that they are driven by money. But let me tell you this. Unless you think about the translation of income into assets, your future will be one of eventually regretting and almost hating the profession that you went into in the first place. What am I talking about here? I am saying that you want to get to a point where the wealth that you've accumulated, where your investments are providing the income that you need for lifestyle as soon as possible. Why? Because at that point, you are freed up to practice the medicine you want to, not the medicine you have to. So if you're truly focused on medicine, if you're truly focused on your profession, on your discipline, on the patients that you've set out to serve, I suggest you get started really quickly on building a portfolio of wealth and assets that provide for your income. Because in that way, and only in that way, Will you truly be freed up to practice the medicine you want to? And this is the solution in my mind, and maybe it's simplistic, but in my mind the solution to providing equitable access to medicine in an environment where there is great inequality and, 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 and a problem around affordability of the best health care, the best way to achieve that is to be really effective, efficient and, and profitable so that you can afford to be philanthropic. It's no surprise that the greatest philanthropists in the world are, the most, uh, are some of the wealthiest people in the world and the most efficient in terms of how they run their businesses. They achieve their wealth, they achieve their quality of life, they achieve their lifestyle as well as intergenerational access to quality of life. And once they've done that, they say, hey, now I've got time, resources and energy to devote that to philanthropic needs. And of course, I suggest, strongly suggest that you lift your level of knowledge around practice succession and retirement planning. Every business, I don't care what it is, even a medical business is saleable if it's run as a business. Now, here's the, the self-promotional bit, Saba. What we've delivered this evening is an example of the kind of education and information that will help lift your level of knowledge to make informed decisions. It's really important that doctors address the fact that your success is not, cannot ever be achieved purely by clinical excellence. 
You need to understand if you're in private practice that there's an element of business and financial knowledge and expertise that you need to bring to the table. Where do you get that? You're certainly not learning that in medical school. And this is why the concept of the South African Health Business Academy, Saba, was created. And I'm very, very happy in, uh, to say that Investec are a foundation partner of this program. And the role of Saba, of the South African Health Business Academy, is to teach South African doctors about business and financial management, not to turn you into experts. It's not about making you and turning you into accountants, God forbid, or lawyers, or financial advisors, or insurance experts, or marketing experts, but it's designed to lift your level of knowledge of each of these themes that are important in your lives so that you can make informed decisions, so that you can speak the same language as the specialist that you need on your team, so that you can identify the good guys from the bad guys, those that are patient-centric from those that are only interested in their back pocket. The second point was your vision. Vision is really important. Get educated, and once you're educated, what's your vision? And most importantly, you understand the importance of specialization. You understand the importance of experts in their field. Just that there are specialists in the medical world, there are specialists in the business and financial world. Now, you're saying to yourself, I know, my God, they cost a fortune. How can I afford all these people? That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, what's my return on investment if I engage with these people? You need specialists in your life. You need to build this team. You may need to prioritize based on where you are in life and what your budget is and what you can afford. But eventually, if you want to get the right outcome, you will deal with specialists. You will deal with experts. Any old accountant won't do. Any old bank won't do. Any old marketing consultant or financial advisor or lawyer won't do. You need those organizations, those individuals that specialize in healthcare, in medical practice. You will save money and time and you'll get the right solution to your challenges, to your opportunities. You need all these people in your life. So my parting words are this. Knowledge plus good advice leads to informed decision-making. Informed decision-making plus vision and drive will get you to a point where you are free to choose to spend your time doing what you want to do, not what you have to do. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Investec in Conversation. Investec in Conversation is a thought leadership series that offers insights into a range of relevant topics. We draw on the expertise of internal and external subject matter experts to spark discussions and answer questions around topics that will empower our clients to create, manage, grow, and preserve their wealth. For more episodes, subscribe to Investec Focus Radio and tune in to this thought-provoking series wherever you get your podcasts from. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Private Banking, a division of Investec Bank Limited, a registered credit provider committed to the code of banking practice as regulated by the Ombudsman for Banking Services.